When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to another episode of Flush. I'm your host, Heva, and I'm still in Sydney. I have to tell you, my apartment here makes the funniest sound of my life. So I'll backtrack. I want to say at some point within the past week, Ozzy and I are laying in bed in the morning and it sounds like someone is practicing some kind of wind instrument and they're really, really bad at it. Like, did you guys ever watch Friends? If you watched Friends, you might remember that for Chandler and Monica's wedding, Ross, or no, was it Chandler and Monica's wedding? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ross wanted to play bagpipes at their wedding because I guess, I don't know, Chandler may have some Irish in his family or something. I don't know. Who cares? Whatever. And his apartment was right across the alley from theirs so they could hear him practicing and he's just atrocious at it. It's like, (laughs) I can't believe I just made that sound, but whatever. Anyway, that's exactly what it sounds like in our apartment all the time. And so the other morning we're laying in bed and we're like, what the fuck is that? Like, is one of our neighbors trying to play an instrument and they're just really, really bad at it? And we're sitting there for like a full hour listening to this and laughing. And it's, I think at some point around like the one and a half, like one and 45 minutes mark, I'm like, Wow, this person's like really relentless about their practice, huh? Even though they're like truly atrocious at this instrument, like really unrelenting with their, you know, desire to improve, which is kind of admirable, I guess. And then Ozzy's like, wait, how could they possibly still be practicing? You would run out of air. Like that cannot be someone playing an instrument. So finally we realize that it's the way the wind sounds, particularly in our bedroom with the windows open, like the, I don't know, the building's at a weird angle. So the way the wind ends up blowing there, it's it's a truly crazy sound. Um, 
I wish I could record a bit of it and put it into the podcast, but you do have my beautiful rendition of it that I did a few minutes ago, so you can go back and listen to that. I did record it with my phone at some point, so maybe I'll just put it on the blush Instagram because it is fascinating. It is a wild, wild sound, and you would never think it's coming out of wind because it changes notes at various times. So like, how fucking weird is that? Anyway, I hope everyone's had a really fantastic week. I am not too surprised to share that I have not climbed any ladders, but I do have a listener submission that might fascinate you. Okay, so this is really wild. Now, I have to share that the person who submitted it is an NLP practitioner, and she has a tremendous amount of training in hypnotherapy. And so she's really, really good at visualizing. And she, unlike me, is very good at visualizing in first person. So uh, last episode, I was talking about when I visualize myself climbing the ladder. In the beginning, it's like, I'm in my body, I see my hands and feet on the ladder, but then within a few seconds, I snap out of it and it's like I'm watching my body on the ladder. I can't stay in first person. She, on the other hand, is really good at staying in first person. So she said she was listening to the podcast. As she's listening to the podcast, she just starts visualizing herself climbing a ladder in first person. She wasn't planning on doing the full exercise because to her also any situation where you'd end up being forced to climb a ladder sounds kind of terrifying. So she just didn't do it. She completely forgot about it. She said, I shit you not, 45 minutes later, she ended up climbing a ladder. So she completely forgets about this whole ladder thing. She goes home. And she had dropped something down onto the scaffolding outside of her house. And she'd been meaning to get it. And she was like trying to find a long stick or something to go get it. She gets home. She sees that there's a ladder on the side of the house, which she had never noticed before. So she climbs down to go uh, find the thing that she had dropped. And then as she's climbing down, she was like, holy shit. I am climbing a ladder. And she remembered, you know, the whole ladder exercise, yada, yada. So it really is kind of interesting. Now, do I think that she maybe manifested climbing a ladder? Probably not. She had already dropped this thing. What I think is more likely and still really interesting is that she noticed the ladder probably because she had just been visualizing being on a ladder. So, you know, do I think it's super woo-woo? No, I think it makes sense. I think when we make a conscious effort to really think about something, we're going to notice that thing more, right? So maybe there is a bit of a takeaway here. Like maybe we should be spending our time consciously thinking about the things that we want to see in our lives. And then we'll be more likely to notice those things when they naturally appear. I don't know. Or maybe it's magic. Who knows? This is the only listener submission I've gotten from it. I'm yet to climb a ladder. I mean, if it happens like in the next few days to a week, I'll be pretty impressed. But if I climb a ladder like six months from now, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's because I was visualizing it six months from now. So I don't know. We'll see. Whatever. 
So I've had a really fun week in Australia. First off, I've been spending a ton of time with Ozzy's nieces, which has been so fun and it's been so nurturing for my inner child. And it really makes me want to do a full episode on inner child. And frankly, I need a really good expert on this. I want someone who's able to talk about your inner child in a very clear and understandable and down-to-earth way. So one could say that I'm kind of putting it out into the universe right now to manifest. If someone has an expert in mind, please hit me up. Bonus points if they are... I mean, I guess in New York, because I'll be back uh, in less than a month. So, ooh, I don't know if you can hear that. There is um, some bird going crazy. There are a lot of birds in Australia, and they are wild. I can't remember if I've shared this or not, but I'm just going to share it anyway. Um, One time we were at the beach with Ozzy's friends and their baby and a seagull swooped in and stole the baby's dummy which is a pacifier and um, yeah that was kind of crazy we've had birds break into our apartment in the middle of the night and steal our grapes so that's cool and then we've had a bunch of cockatoos land on our balcony which is the sweetest thing ever and the cockatoos are more than welcome to come inside and steal as many grapes as they want but they're yet to come inside oh and the part of town where we are we're like right on the beach um in manly for anyone who's familiar with sydney so we're like right on the corso bats just fly around at night which frankly i always thought bats kind of hung out in caves but they'll they'll just f- fly around at night and it's really really cool i personally love bats ozzy gets a little freaked out ah <sighs> okay moving along so spent a lot of time with the nieces oh and then Last Friday, I went to uh, the footy game. It's Australian Football League. Now, AFL is a very interesting sport. It's not really like American football. It's not really like soccer. Um, It's a lot like if you were to take like 60 third graders and just pump them full of sugar, just like take them to Dylan's candy bar and let them run wild and eat as much as they want and then collect them and throw them in a field and throw a ball and just watch them go crazy. That's the best way I can describe the sport. It looks a little chaotic, I'm not going to lie. I've watched it on TV a couple of times, and by watched, I mean I glanced up for a few seconds, and I was like, oh, this sport is nonsense. I'm going to look away. But Ozzy's aunt and uncle are members of the stadium where they play here. It's the, like, Sydney Cricket Grounds, yes. SCG. Yes, yes. So that's right. Sydney Cricket Grounds. And um, so they have like four tickets. They can go anytime. They're in the members area, which is like really special and historic and like really beautiful. And um, I had mentioned wanting to go to a footy game. Now, I meant rugby, which seems like a more, you know, 
what's the right word here, um, normal sport, um, more, you know, <laughs> less third grade chaos kind of sport. But they had tickets, they were playing in town. And so she's like, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds super fun. And I nearly didn't go because I got my period kind of unexpectedly. Um, it came like just a few days after I ovulated, which is super, super strange. And I was in a tremendous amount of pain, which I never really am. Like I never really have cramps. Like I might get bitchy, like my boobs definitely get swollen, but I never really have cramps. So yeah, all in all, I kind of really felt like shit and I nearly didn't go. But I was like, whatever, I'm going to power through. I'm going to go like I want to see this. It'll be cool. So like an hour before we leave, Ozzy's like, hey, um, I just have to tell you something just to warn you. I don't think it'll happen, but it could happen. And I know you already think the sport is really chaotic. So you kind of need to know <laughs> before this happens because it'll be way more chaotic if it does happen. So I'm like, okay, like what in the world is going on here? Well, there is a player on the Sydney team that people call Buddy. I don't know his actual name, but everyone calls him Buddy. He's number 23. And before last Friday's game, he had 996 goals. And there is a tradition in AFL, where if someone reaches 1,000 goals, everyone, like usually it's kids, kids will run out onto the field. And I mean, if you run out onto the field in any other AFL game, it's like a $5,000 fine and you'll be arrested and probably banned for life. But at the 1,000 goal mark, they'll allow it. And up until Friday night's game, only five people had ever reached this and obviously Buddy was coming up against it at 996 but they also say that no one will ever reach 1000 goals again because like I guess the game is changing and I forgot Ozzy explained it to me I think like people are becoming more specialized so it's just or less specialized I forget so it's one of the two who knows um so just whatever for whatever reason it's highly unlikely that any player will ever achieve this again now he said it's pretty unlikely that he will get four goals in this game because it's raining, it's wet, it's probably not going to be that high goal of a game in general. So it's just unlikely, but I just want to warn you in case it does happen. Now, we leave for the game. It's raining a little bit, but then it stops. And we get there, and it's packed, and people are there waiting for Buddy to hit his 1,000th goal. And it's dry. And so the first quarter, we're sitting there, we're waiting. Um, Sydney's doing quite well. And Buddy gets one goal. So I'm like, all right, we're off to a really good start. Like if he just gets one goal per quarter, we'll get there. And now I am highly invested in this. I didn't know who Buddy was an hour ago. But we get there and 
I care more about Buddy hitting 1,000 goals than I care about anything in my personal life. I even remember at some point I was like, um, universe, I'd like to change my manifestation list to Buddy hitting 1,000 goals in this game because I'm at this game and I want to see it happen. And frankly, I just don't really care about anything else right now. <laughs> so second quarter, Buddy gets no goals. Third quarter, Buddy gets a goal. A few minutes later, Buddy gets a third goal. And now people just start pouring out of the seating area and like running downstairs to line up to pour onto the field when he gets his fourth goal. Fourth quarter comes around. They take him out of the game and he's getting like massaged on the sidelines. But to us watching, we're kind of like, all right, there's time. There's time. Like it makes sense. Like, you know, get him like nice and loose and ready to kick that fourth goal. They put him back in, but he got his fourth goal. And I screamed, I jumped, I kissed the people around me. And then like a minute later, Ozzy and I ran downstairs and we ran out onto the field and it was packed. I mean, uh, look up videos of it. It is crazy how many people they estimate like 20,000 people ran out onto the field. I started crying, which is wild because, again, I know nothing about the sport. I literally didn't know who he was up until an hour ago. But it was something about the excitement and the fact that of all the games that I could have possibly gone to, I ended up going to arguably the most historic game because it's probably the last time that someone will reach that milestone and there have never been that many people who poured out onto the field and so it was just this wild experience and to get to see someone achieve this you know huge milestone in their career is obviously just so admirable and I think it just fills you with emotions and it's like wow like you know, he reached this huge thing, which obviously to me personally means nothing, but it's still kind of inspirational when someone achieves something. You're kind of like, okay, well, if he can achieve that, then I can achieve my thing, right? I don't know. I started crying. And then when we came back, we watched the TV footage and we're actually on the TV and we're walking off the screen and we kiss each other. And it's the cutest thing in the world. Um, actually, his nieces the next day found us on TV and took a video of their TV, like pointing to where we are. So maybe I'll put that on the blush Instagram. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe moving right along. The next day, Ozzy and I drove down to a town called Barrel, which is about two hours, I want to say southwest of Sydney. It's a little in the country. It's much colder. Ozzy's grandmother is down there, and she's actually in like a nursing home type place. And um, she's probably nearing the end of her life. So we had talked about going down there for him to see her. And so we did that, and he actually happens to have some friends down there in the moment. So we met up with them afterwards, and it was kind of cool just to see another town in Australia. And then we came back the next day, and I recorded the episode that's coming up, which I'll get to in a minute, um, in a 
about a week or so, Ozzy and I are going to go to Melbourne because he's working on the Formula One there. And I'm just going to hang out. I have a really, really, really cool podcast episode that I'm going to record there with like a really cool guest that I'm super, super pumped about. And otherwise, I'm just going to explore Melbourne and see what's up. And then uh, we're going to come back to Sydney. And then not long after that, we're going to go back to New York. So my time in Australia is sadly coming to an end. It's been just so healing for me on so many levels to be on the beach, to be in sunshine, to be around Ozzy's family and meet them. Okay, so when what my very first day in Australia, we came down to Manly, which is um where we're staying now, but we weren't staying there until a couple of days later. He just wanted to show me Manly because it's super cute. And we went into this like natural foods co-op type store that had, you know, all the types of things that I love, like a lot of fermented foods and bulk items and nuts and seeds and vegan products. And this one product really stuck out to me. It was a little jar and it's a nut milk base. So it looks like kind of a powdery type mix that you blend with water to make your own nut milks. And it stuck out to me because, A, I'd never seen that concept before. I mean, I don't use a ton of nut milks personally, but Ozzy loves um, using nut milks in smoothies. And I hate a lot of store-bought nut milks, especially almond milks, have so many additives in them and they can be really bad for you. And the packaging is often not great. And so this really stood out to me because... It's in a little glass jar. It's super sustainable and you can make so much from just that tiny jar and there are no additives, no fillers, no gums, no yucky stuff and frankly, the packaging is really cute and if you know my Instagram, you know that I'm all about aesthetics and so anything that's branded well will always capture my interest and so I was like, oh, this is awesome. I should buy this because I know Ozzy's going to want a million smoothies and so I should get this for the smoothies and for, you know, other recipe experimentation, yada, yada. And I didn't buy it that day because we weren't settled into our apartment yet. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then uh, maybe a week later, I posted something on my Instagram and this brand commented on it. And I happened to see it. So I clicked on it and I was like, holy shit, this is the nut milk brand that I was looking at in this store. And they followed me. So I followed back and we started DMing and they're like, yeah, we'd love to send you a press kit. And I was like, cool, that would be amazing. Here's my address. And then, uh, you know, they're talking about their founders. It's a female founded company. It's a small brand that originated here in the northern beaches of Sydney. And, uh, you know, as I'm chatting with them, I was like, wait, I've been wanting to have more work-focused episodes. You know, I talked about this a little bit in last week's episode. Like, I've never really touched on finances much, and we don't really talk about career much here at all. And it's such a big part of our lives and who we are, whether that's a good thing or not. You know, that's up for debate. But at the end of the day, we probably spend the vast majority of our lives working. 
if you're in a good place with your career and you actually really enjoy it, you tend to be just happier overall and you tend to have better relationships and you tend to have more inner peace. And, you know, when you're in a really shitty job that you really hate with a really with a boss that's like really toxic and a really toxic work environment, you tend not to be as happy. So it's something I've been meaning to get into on this podcast. And specifically what I've really wanted to have on are female entrepreneurs. Like I want to highlight female entrepreneurship, how they did it, what advice they have, you know, what brands they have, like really get into it. And so I had this light bulb moment where I was like, wait, Here's a brand that I was already interested in. They make a product that's good for your body and good for the environment, good for the planet. They're female founded. They started right here where I am right now. What better person to have on this podcast as the first female entrepreneur than one of the founders? So we set it up and today's episode was with Heidi, one of the founders of Ulu High, this nut milk brand that I'm obsessed with right now. You have to check out their products. They're cute. They're chic. They're yummy. I really do not have enough good things to say. You're probably going to see a bunch of recipes using their products on my Instagram coming up. So definitely check them out. Listen to the episode. We talk a lot about the products themselves, but we also spend a lot of time talking about entrepreneurship. And I have to say, I'm quite impressed by what Heidi and her co-founder have built. They, you know, started basically at home, these two best friends. They had an idea that came from a personal need and they've built it into something quite big and it's getting huge. I mean, they have stuff coming up that I'm not going to share yet, but, you know, I'll talk about it in future episodes that like big, big things are happening for them. And kind of to summarize some of the things that we talked about and like what I think are the keys to their success is number one, the idea came from a personal need. I really think the best ideas in this world come from personal need because if you need it and it's not out there, then someone else probably needs it too. They improved on an industry and they found a unique spin, a unique offering. They started small and they scaled This one I think is really important. They initially absorbed a lot of the cost. And I think this is important because with products, as you scale, your costs go down. So if you can just kind of brace it and absorb a lot of the costs initially and price it in a way where people will buy it, that's going to help you out so much in the long run. And I also think that this really applies to services. I mean, The most successful people I know who offer services initially offered them completely for free until they got more experience and they got their footing. And then they've raised their prices only to the level that they subconsciously know they can handle. So whether you're in a service or you're trying to launch a good, I think this is such an important step. They pivoted and they learned from mistakes. They know where their specialties lie, where their strengths lie, and what they need to outsource. Huge. This is so important. And she talks about it so beautifully in this episode. 
And this is one of my favorites. They constantly connect with their community. So in this case, it's their customers. But she has one really easy, actionable tip. So whether it's, you know, for you, just a community that you're building or your clientele or whatever, it's so important to connect with them and to get feedback from them, which is exactly what Uluhai does. And that's been such a key to their success. Anyway, they actually have an ebook that you can find. I'll link it in the show notes on how to start your own business. Um, again, love the product. Please follow the brand. You're going to see huge things happening with them. I'll link everything in the show notes. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Heidi. So let's just get into it. Tell us about your background, your business, how you came to start it. Sure. Okay. So um, I am from a little country town in Victoria called Druin and my best friend and I grew up there and went through high school. And then in about 2016, we, I say we because we're a really, really close group, um, we were trying to get my husband off dairy milk. So he was consuming quite a lot and he doesn't do that well with dairy, which a lot of people don't. Right. And so we had converted him to almond milk and between he and I, because we were living together, we were going through about a litre a day. So we started putting the cartons in the recycling bin. And then when I did a little bit of research to look at where exactly they were going, because we were, you know, we were um, putting in quite a lot and sort of found out that the they're not easily recycled and a lot of states don't actually recycle them. Mm-hmm. So the majority of them do end up in the landfill. So then Vasia is my business partner's name. Um, she is a naturopath and she loves to cook and, and do all that sort of thing. So she, was, she had been making her own almond milk anyway from the get-go. So then I sort of embarked on making my own almond milk. And that's quite a laborious process. So like mm. soaking the nuts and then not forgetting that you've soaked them and then sprouting them mm. um, and then making the milk and straining it and then having all this pulp left over. Mm-hmm. So my freezer was filling up with all this almond pulp and I was trying to be creative and, and you know, using the whole product. So I started, <laughs> it's so stupid, but I started like making almond meal hummus and like almond mm. meal bread and they were just awful (laughs) so I was throwing a whole lot of pulp out and it just was not working for me it's just I was just struggling to be able to keep up with the demand with my husband and I um consumption so then Vas and I started just talking about that we needed you know an in-between like people that don't have the time or don't have the patience um to make their own from scratch but want the benefits of having homemade milk, you know, how mm. clean it is, how fresh, how healthy, and the, and the taste of it too. So we decided that we would create that product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Ulu High was sort of born from there. Mm-hmm. And where does the name come from? <laughs> it's not that good a story, I'm afraid. So when you start your own business, you need to obviously register your business name and you need an ABN and you need a domain and Instagram handle and Facebook handle and with everybody's side hustle everything is taken like Mm -hmm. everything so we sort of had to sit down and and create something from scratch so we got a list of all different words um, that we really liked the meaning of and then found different um, you know found how they were translated in different languages 
and ulu is a Hawaiian word and it means to grow and to inspire. Mm-hmm. And then hi is just a play off my name. So we just had a whole list of, you know, potential business names and, and ulu hi was one that we both really liked and we just chose. That's actually a really good story. Oh, <laughs> I feel like people expect it to have like this really beautiful meaning. I'm like, no, I just made it up. <laughs> no, it's great. And it also points to something really important. Um, if you're trying to start a business, anyone listening, you're going to need to register it and you're going to want to have a trademark on it. And it, like certain things, I don't know how the laws are here, but certain things are not trademarkable in the U.S. So you can't like, for example, call an almond, almond milk brand almond milk like that they're not going to give you a trademark for that so you need something that's a little bit unique that doesn't you know speak to the exact product you need it's easiest if it's something kind of made up as far as trademarking absolutely but then you also run into um the fact that you have to trademark in every country Mm-hmm. So we have trademarked Ulu High, um, but we've trademarked in Australia. So, you know, if somebody in Ireland wants to use it, they can because we haven't paid for the trademark registration in mm-hmm. every single country mm-hmm. um, because it's quite an admin-heavy process right. and costly. So right. people sort of are under the illusion that if you trademark it, you're sorted. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not correct at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Tomorrow's problem. Yeah. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, what exactly is your husband doing with all of this almond milk? <laughs> like, how does he use it? Um, he used to have a lot of protein shakes. Uh, yeah. And I am a big smoothie lover. So mm-hmm. I have like a liter smoothie every morning. Um, I think back then it's probably 500 mil. It's definitely grown over the years. Um, so yeah, between us, we were just smashing almond milk. And back then that was all that was really available as well. Right. You know, because we're talking like five years ago. Yeah. Five, six years ago. Right. Yeah. Predominantly almond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My boyfriend is a big smoothie person too. And um So I always make him smoothies and he'll just bring home any almond milk that he sees. And I look at the ingredients (laughs) and I'm like, no, this is filled with so many additives. You can't buy this. And it's so hard to find a product that's actually clean, which is why I really love your product. Or it's one of the things that I really, really love about it. And um, I know it isn't your background, so we don't have to get into you know, all of the science of it, but can you just lay out what other nut milks usually have that yours doesn't? Oh, it really varies. I mean, there's definitely some gums um, mm-hmm. and thickeners and emulsifiers mm-hmm. and mouthfeel products. So it gives the illusion that the product's a lot thicker than what it is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of oils do that because they leave like a film in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So it gives the illusion that's really creamy um, mm-hmm. when it's just that that residue, the oil residue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's preservatives, that sort of thing as well. Yeah. yeah. So a whole host of things. Um, there's also what can be a little bit misleading is... And I'm not saying that all do it, but it's very hard to um, decipher who does and who doesn't. But with almond milks, if it says 10% almonds, what is generally done is um, the company will weigh, will soak the almonds and then they will weigh the soaked almond and then they will Mm. blend it with the water and then extract the pulp. 
but they use the weight ratio from the soaked almond to water and that's how they get that ratio. So they don't take into account that it's waterlogged and then it's actually extracted. Right. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because like some people, you know, because with our products, you know, use between 30 and 40 grams per litre and they're like, well, you know, only three or four percent. But that's actually quite a high number. It's mm-hmm. Without knowing the background, though, it, it does seem, you know, like it's just the average amount compared to some competing products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you start with just one or two product lines or and then expand, or have you always had all of the products that you currently do? No. So we started with the nut milk base, mm-hmm. um, which we currently have now, but we had an original and an unsweetened. Mm-hmm. And the original had unrefined dark agave syrup in it. Mm-hmm. Which um, Bass chose for, you know, a number of reasons. Um, and it's really, really good product and high quality. But we found that a lot of people wanted to choose what sweetener they used. Mm-hmm. And then when with the unsweetened, you could just add in your sweetener of choice when making the milk. Mm-hmm. So we pretty quickly discontinued the original and then just made all of our products unsweetened uh, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the nuts made up of cashews, macadamias and almonds, so really neutral flavor. Mm-hmm. So started those two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, I personally like controlling my sweetener, so I I can see that. Um, I also, was it intentional to start with just two products and then expand? We didn't really have a game plan, to be honest. Mm -hmm. We knew what we wanted to achieve, but because it was so new and we there wasn't any much market research to do because there's no competing products. Mm -hmm. So we weren't entirely sure how it would be received by the general public. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted to increase the product range um, and do a whole host of different flavours, but we really let our audience guide us as to what flavours to mm-hmm. um, to create and, and release. So almond milk was actually our third flavour. We did hemp after nut, mm-hmm. and almond was something that we never thought we would release because – we, <laughs> this is why you should always, always, you know, do your research and, and talk to your consumer base. We just assumed that because almond milk was so prevalent that people wanted something new. Mm. And because almond isn't such a creamy nut, we thought, you know, the cashews and the macadamias and, and all of that would be, um, I guess, more favorable. And so only after like a good year of people requesting almond, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll do an almond. And we did an almond and it's definitely the number one seller. So wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's so interesting. Exactly. So just because you think you know what people want doesn't necessarily mean you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And how do you connect with your consumers, your customer base? Like how, how are you getting this feedback? Because we're really small um, and really personal, we get a lot of uh, messages and emails um, mm-hmm. and just people coming up to us when we've done markets, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. People are very willing to give us their opinion um, mm-hmm. and tell us what they want. And then if we are stuck, we will put it out there on social media and just sort of, you know, what flavour do you guys want? What would you prefer? So our limited edition flavours, we definitely ask for people's opinion and we get them to choose the limited edition flavours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mainly social media, yeah, and right. emails. That's great, though, that you've created an environment where people feel comfortable doing that, right? That's really on you more than anything else. So that's that's really lovely to hear and probably hard for a business to do. 
Um, because I am, I guess, number one for all customer inquiries, um, especially via email, it's really good to sort of get stuck into those questions quickly. Mm-hmm. So somebody just writes in to say, hey, just want to say love your product. You know, thanks for creating it. I'm now reducing my household waste by X amount. I will then quickly open it up and I thank you. Tell me what you like about it or mm-hmm. any suggestions on, you know, what would you like to see from us and, mm-hmm. and really opening it up. Mm, that's a really good tip I love that yeah because it would be so easy to just ignore that or just respond thank you but that's that's a really nice way to get a little dialogue going I'm gonna note that for myself (laughs) (laughs) um so clearly your main motivation with this was sustainability it seems um, so one of the things that I really love about the product is that it comes in a glass jar and having friends and family who are entrepreneurs, uh, I know how expensive that choice can be for you. So I'd love to hear more about that. It was, yeah, whilst it was a number one driver to create the product, um, health was very, very close second, mm-hmm. um, especially Vars being a naturopath. Um there was no question about what we were going to put it in. And when you start out, obviously, your um, your minimum orders, are, you know, on the smaller side. So you have to absorb a lot of the cost because as you order more, the price goes down. And I remember the, the price difference from ordering a glass jar to a plastic jar was huge. Mm-hmm. And I remember a piece of advice from a mentor of mine and he said, Heidi, Everybody wants to save the world until it costs too much. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I love what you're doing and I love what you're trying to do, but it's going to hurt you financially because mm-hmm. if people aren't saving money with it, they're not going to want to buy it, even though the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. Mm-hmm. And so we just had to wear a lot of the margin initially until we could get those costs down because mm-hmm. we didn't have a product if it wasn't going to be in glass because we didn't want to create a product not in glass. Mm-hmm. So we just had to, we just had to wear it and um, just you know, look forward to the day where the numbers went up and, and we could um, manufacture bigger runs and get those costs down and actually, yeah, make more margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I don't think the average consumer realizes how dramatic that one decision I mean it's so much better for our health I mean I personally reuse all of my glass jars I don't even own you know Tupperware or things like that I just reuse glass jars from other products so for us it's so good but I don't think the average person in a store looking at a product realizes how dramatic that price difference is for the manufacturer yeah they don't um, I think maybe there's becoming, you know, a bigger awareness around it, but, mm-hmm. but no, I don't think they realize that, you know, and, and this isn't the number, but even like a few cents, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you just sometimes have to look at, I guess, what's more important, mm-hmm. which can be really hard, <laughs> especially in, yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. Which of your products is your favorite? The nut. Okay. I'm really excited to try it. Yeah. Um, I love making white sauce with it, vegetable sauce. Oh. Yeah. It's amazing. Because I find, um, you know, every other flavor, it, it, 
it tastes like the flavor it is. You know, almond milk tastes like almonds and hazelnut tastes like hazelnuts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you want a milk which doesn't really have a distinct flavor. Mm-hmm. So the nut, the blend of the cashews and macadamias and almonds gives it a really neutral flavour profile. Mm-hmm. So great for those transitioning from dairy. Um, but it means it's really versatile in, in using it for all different cooking and especially savoury cooking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just being vegan, I use probably pounds of cashews, like, I don't know, per week. I don't know, but it's just for everything, like cashews for everything, you know. <laughs> it gets like that, yeah. Yeah. You eat like a raw dessert and you feel like you've just eaten two handfuls of nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> nuts and for desserts, and it's nuts and dates, yeah. right? Like that's it. And then just for multiple savory, different forms. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> savory, it's like nuts and for me, I use a lot of miso paste and like nutritional yeast. Basically, it's some combination of these things. <laughs> I love miso paste. It just, it adds such a nice flavor to everything. Oh, and I was late to the miso game too. Like mm-hmm. it's only the past year that I've really embraced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've missed out so many years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you most proud of with Uluhai? Oh, um, there's lots. Um, probably still being here going through a pandemic and going through a pandemic. So just the logistics around that in terms of supply, Mm -hmm. consumer confidence in spending, um, just all of it. So just still being here and still seeing growth throughout it all, that would probably Mm -hmm. be it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did you do anything specific to try to adapt or shift through the pandemic? Um, not anything specifically. I mean, just make, having to really forward order um, different mm-hmm. materials. Mm-hmm. So we do get everything made in Australia in terms of, you know, like our milk bottles and um, our labelling and we try to keep everything in-house. Um, but just making sure that we had enough um, enough stock Mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future because you know the supply chains were awful mm-hmm. and the lead times and delays and so just managing that was really really tricky mm-hmm. yeah so while we're kind of here I want to talk a little bit about being an entrepreneur being a female entrepreneur um, maybe let's start with what's the best piece of advice you've been given about starting a business I get asked this a lot and I, I wish I wish I had that that one piece of advice that stood out, but there there's really so much. Um, mm-hmm. and it's funny because you get the perfect like the perfect piece of advice that you need at that at that point in time mm-hmm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so it might not seem significant now to say it, but at that moment it was exactly what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Um I've always really liked something that I got told, which was bite off more than you can chew and then chew like crazy. So don't be afraid to take the risk, but then work your ass off and make sure, yeah, you come out the other end. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I'm so going to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had any unexpected hurdles? Maybe pandemic, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely unexpected. Um, uh, 
not really unexpected because they – oh, actually, yes. <laughs> um, when we – after our nut milk base, we launched hemp milk base mm-hmm. and it was when it first became um, legal to be used in a food product mm-hmm. back in 2018. And – we were like, great, you know, we're really ahead here. I'm really progressive. Released one of the first in Australia. But because it was so new, Facebook, which is essentially Instagram, uh-huh. Facebook blacklisted us mm-hmm. and they removed any option to advertise anything. They reduced our reach. We couldn't reach anybody and just completely blacklisted us, just mm-hmm. cancelled us. And... Trying to speak to anybody on Facebook is like trying to get blood out of a stone. And you would just get these automated um, messages back. And the message would always be, Facebook does not support businesses that um, that supply illicit substances. Mm-hmm. So essentially saying, you're a drug dealer and we're not going to support you. Yeah. Um, but this lasted a good 18 months that we were blacklisted. And so just starting out, not having any means to advertise and social media being sort of everything mm-hmm. to advertise, you know, unless you want to get into TV and, and billboards, which right. we're too small for and yeah. don't have the budget. Um, so that was really unexpected and that hurt. That hurt a lot. Um, yeah, that was 18 months that we can't get back. Yeah. 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 I So I do a little social media management for a – skincare company that has cbd in it oh god and so we run that into would be this hard. constantly and i mean even still it's now what four years later and i will say that at least has cbd versus just hemp <laughs> which is just so innocuous but uh yeah it's it's always a struggle oh, and even to the point now because if we have one last warning i guess um where if we get put up on anything our, our accounts are completely gone mm. so we cannot mention the word hemp we can't have any photos of hemp on our instagram page um on our website we have to spell it hmp because the seo you know how it all works yeah. picks it up like we cannot have the word hemp anywhere to do with our business wow so it's hard because i don't want to regret releasing it because you know we've got so many lovers of it mm-hmm. and so i wouldn't want to take it away but I just wish we waited a little bit because that just really hurt. In yeah. The, yeah. But that's, that's life. But yeah, that would have been the biggest hurdle. Wow. That's, that's so wild and so annoying. Again, because it's not even CBD, you know what I mean? Which uh, it still isn't THC, but, you know, the, I, I at least somewhat understand the rationale there. This is just like hemp seeds. <laughs> and if we were able to speak to somebody in Facebook... I, I'm sure it would have been resolved so fast, but mm-hmm. because it, it just goes through such, you know, an automated, like almost like a triage sort of filing, um, we just kept getting a computer response. Mm-hmm. So we just got nowhere. And then we were lucky enough, um, Des, who handles our advertising, um, our Facebook advertising, she had a contact in Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so she helped us get it unlisted. Wow. That was the only way we could get it. Yeah. She's wow. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> terrible. So you are a mother to two very young children, <laughs> younger than I was expecting, just in terms of being able to work and take care of two kids that are that young. 
how do you do it all? (laughs) And I have to say, I hate asking this question because no one asks men this question, you know? But it's a bit it, but it, it is, is but it's real yeah. and it is different. And, you know, like we were talking about before we recorded, you have to provide milk consistently, whether you're pumping or breastfeeding or, you know, just pumping just to get it out or whatever. Like that's the whole thing that a man doesn't have to do. Yeah. My um, marketing manager, Rosa, actually asked me the other day because she's new to the team. And uh, what did I think she wrote – mum boss or something along those lines and then she sort of followed up with I don't know how you feel about that about that um that name like are you okay with being called that because there's so much talk about you know why why do females have to be acknowledged for working or for being a boss that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and I said no I I love that because they're both hard Mm-hmm. Um, and then doing them together, it's really hard. So I think we should be appreciated or, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's a, I don't think it's an insult by saying mum boss at all. Um, but yeah, so I have a seven month old boy called Arlo Oak mm-hmm. and then a two and a half year old girl called Ziggy Lou. And they are just amazing, but I am really tired. <laughs> um, it is really hard. Um, I start my day at about five wow. and smash out some work before they wake up um, and I finish my day late. So I work when they go to bed and during their naps and try to, yeah, do it all and not not all that successfully always, but, yeah, definitely give it a crack. But it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're doing great. <laughs> Do you have any advice for other working mothers or maybe mothers that are interested in starting their own business? You've got to love what you're doing um, Mm. because you're you're spread thin. And sometimes I get the mum guilt, which we all get, but I feel like I am sort of running, you know, 70% and I'm 70% as good a mum as I can be and I'm 70% as good a entrepreneur as I can be and I'm Mm -hmm. 70% as good a wife I can be and I feel like I'm not not enough in any aspect and that can be really tricky and so when you're so short on time and work has to take up majority of it if you don't love it then it's going to drain you pretty quickly because Mm -hmm. it needs to fill you up and satisfy you and bring you joy Mm -hmm. um yeah so just make sure you love it Mm -hmm. yeah I love that Do you have any advice for someone, whether a mother or not, who wants to start their own business, maybe has an idea, but just has absolutely no clue how to put it into motion? Just start small, just one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually put together a PDF, which like an ebook, sorry, um, which is available online. And it's how to start a business from from day one um, until execution because we found it so challenging. And you Google checklist for starting a business and you get, you know, government sort of websites, which Mm -hmm. is all the legalities around it, which is very overwhelming when you're starting out. But honestly, just start small. Just Mm -hmm. find a name, look at what product, and just tick one or two things off the list at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you sort of look at it as one whole big task it's too overwhelming and you'll never get started Mm -hmm. yeah 
Mm -hmm. I'll make sure to find that and put it in the show notes, the Mm. ebook. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone looking to enter into the food industry? (laughs) Um, Oh, goodness me. Um, (laughs) Don't do it. No, (laughs) cut that out. Um, Just, I don't even know. I can't even think of anything positive at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Don't cut corners. Mm. Don't assume and pay the money from the get-go to get sound advice on product, on stability, on Mm -hmm. labelling, on all these things that could potentially bite you in the ass later Mm -hmm. on. Just really don't cut corners. Mm -hmm. You know when you double-check everything, quadruple-check it. Mm -hmm. The amount of money we've spent on labels, (laughs) um, just Mm -hmm. missing little things, is ridiculous Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah Mm -hmm. so would you recommend hiring like a lawyer or I don't know some kind of consultant in this space um if you need to and -hmm. I think that is a really um important point to make is know what you're good at and know what you're not and Mm -hmm. don't let your ego be offended by that Mm -hmm. so if you're not great with admin and it's so funny if you're not, so many people aren't. Um, don't try to do it. Yeah. Because you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be errors. Yeah. So take a step back and actually look at what your strengths are in business. Mm-hmm. And it's generally the things you like to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's okay if, if you're not good at something. But then don't be afraid to spend the money and get someone who is good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is hard because small businesses, you don't have the – you don't have the funds to hire people, so you do have to wear a lot of the hats. Right. So I guess it's identifying your weakness and really, really making sure that you are dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's, mm-hmm. especially in food. Mm-hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit. So I would think of Uluhai's, in addition to being in the food industry, as also kind of being part of the health and wellness industry, which is a booming space right now and I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are in this space whether it's you know just a health coach a life coach or you know have products or whatever what advice would you have for someone who is in this space or who's looking into getting into this space just really make sure that you love what you're doing mm-hmm. um you feed oh, you grow what you feed so if you don't love it and you don't put the time and the effort into it, it's hard to grow anything. So if you if you like it, you enjoy it, and then it's it's easy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I think that's pretty transferable, though, for any industry. Yeah, absolutely. But, but also make sure it's genuine and authentic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I just want to touch on before we wrap up, because I think this is really interesting. So you entered a market that's quite saturated, I would say, And I mean, especially if you just look at almond milk, there's what, thousands of brands, Mm -hmm. but you had a very unique twist on it, something that you improved on a space, I would say. And I think that really ultimately is the key to your success. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really hard now to find a gap in the market, in any market. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really lucky that we did find that that Mm -hmm. gap 
And if there's no gap, then you need to come in with whether it's a massive marketing budget or a huge following, um, but you need to come to the table with something that's going to help propel you forward and, and mm-hmm. help you stand out from your competitors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, for you guys, you didn't even try to find the gap. It just was natural. You were doing something that was different than what's out there, even in a space that's, you know what I mean? You were already making your things at home. So it probably wasn't the largest jump to come up with a way so that people can make their own nut milks at home, but without, you know, the 10 hour prep work that you have to do. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just as I'm talking, I don't really have a specific question. I'm just kind of thinking. I think, like you said, you either have to have this huge marketing budget or a huge following, or if not, maybe you just kind of have to wait until it naturally clicks and you find the thing that'll make you different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, what they say, you need a um, a USP, a unique selling, unique selling point. Um, and what market isn't saturated? Like it's, it is so hard. And I guess that sort of goes back to my, um, initial response with you've got to love what you do because if it's authentic and and genuine, then, um, it's naturally easier to, to have success with it rather than if you're Mm -hmm. sort of fumbling away. But yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what more I can add to that. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's beautiful. I think really the theme here is really you have to love what you do. Yeah. At the end it of just, the day. We just got lucky, really, with, with our product. Mm-hmm. Um, a, seeing that there could be a market for this sort of product mm-hmm. and then B, creating it. But I, I really think, yeah, just right time and mm-hmm. we were open to it. I mean, Vas and I always talked about going into business together. Mm-hmm. and and working together and mm-hmm. so it was natural that we were always on the lookout for what we would do mm-hmm. because we are so different as well um we never knew exactly how we wanted to work together we just mm-hmm. knew that we did so um this just sort of yeah happened to to come to us and it yeah we created it mm-hmm. beautifully yeah yeah oh I love that I think that's a nice note to end on yeah um We'll link everything in the show notes, but can you just say where everyone can find you? Mm, absolutely. So um, you can head to www.uluhai.com.au or just jump on socials, so Instagram, um, Facebook, and mm-hmm. yeah, go from there. But mm-hmm. we are in, yeah, about four or 500 stockists at the moment around mm-hmm. Australia and soon to be growing. So watch your space. I'm so excited and I'm so excited to try their products. <laughs> thank you. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, anyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to go check out Uluhai. Make sure to send this to your friends, family, lovers, whatever, who like nut milk and are looking for a better for the planet, better for you alternative Leave a five-star review. You know the drill. Love you guys. See you next week.